This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for August 4th, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to fill you in on what's happening in the world of eSports right now. On today's show, we're getting ready for the EU and NA LCS playoffs and taking a look at the dramatic finale to the North American League of Legends summer season. Yeah, we've also got the official Premier League brackets for the StarCraft II WCS, as well as the GSL Code S participants finalized. So we'll be taking a look at the coming months of StarCraft II. But first, we've got a lot of surprises from the international group stage that leave us asking, what happened to all the champions? Yeah, it's been a, a very interesting uh, year in Dota 2 where, you know, basically everybody, every dynasty in, in Dota 2 has kind of fallen from grace in a lot of ways. Um, and so, you know, last year we had uh, Team Newbie versus uh, Vici Gaming for the championship, and now both of those teams are in the loser's bracket. You know, pretty far down in the loser's bracket, too. And then, you know, beyond that, we have Nadis Vincer, the legendary team of, of Dendi, the most famous esports player in the world, which is now almost dead last in the rankings of, of the group stages right now. And it, it's just been murder for these for these classic teams. So I guess I have to ask, what happened to the perennial international favorites? Uh, there's a lot of teams here that are facing elimination that... You know, every time I check in and start following the international seriously, these are the teams to watch, right? So, like, you know, Navi, Alliance. Uh, well, <laughs> that's a question right there. What the hell happened to Alliance? The only reason we would have Alliance at the bottom of the table is because they were already eliminated before the international. So, I guess what I'm asking is, what happened to the old guard? Well, the simple answer is team secret, at least in Europe. Uh, so, the some of the best players from the best teams in Europe all got together and formed basically a super team of the best European players specifically to win this kind of a tournament. They brought together the most experienced players, the most talented players, and they just they brought together a team that is currently the favorite. And so they, they plucked all of the talent from those other teams. And so those are the two best players from Na'Vi. Excuse me, it's the second and third best players from Na'Vi, uh, the best players from Alliance, and then a North American player called named Arteezy as well. What's, what's um, the backstory there? I'm just curious. Like In League of Legends, obviously, is something that happens a lot is someone just shows up with piles of money and steals all the top talent. Was, did Team Secret have massive like financial backing, or was there something else happening that allowed them to sort of you know skim the cream off the top of the scene? They didn't. Uh, Dota is pretty famous for its roster shakeups, and it's the the scene is in such an infancy right now, where it, it makes a lot of sense that a, a few of these players could come together, especially those who have won a significant amount of money in, in prizes, and start thinking of themselves almost as a startup. Because you put together a team that has a really good shot at winning the international, and that's a, a savvy investment in a lot of ways. You know, if you finish first, second, or third at the international this year. You're looking at millions of dollars. I mean, that's a $10 million payday likely for the, the people who win this year. And so the likely answer is that they just got together themselves and said, you know, why do we need this management layer, this bureaucracy that's going to take some of our money from us? We don't need that. We don't even really need advertisements if we can place at the international this year. I think that's really what's going on here. Uh, but, you know, beyond Team Secret uh, sort of decimating the, the European rosters, the European rosters, uh, we also have Team Vici, which was, uh, I believe, second place last year, uh, who lost their captain in ROTK. And so now they're doing much, much worse than they have in the past. Um, all of the talent from Team DK, uh, who finished fourth in the, in the international last year, left to other teams that are now in the running to win. 
Uh, and last year's champion, New B, is the same story. They lost the core of their roster, and they've been clawing back to relevance ever since. Um, but the important thing to remember is not to count out the losers of the group stage, the people in the bottom of the bracket now, because Navi is notorious for bad performances early on and then they make this incredible comeback and showing later on in the tournament Uh, but you know what's great right now is that the international five is in this really beautiful position where the top eight the top eight teams right now three are chinese two are european two are north american and one is from southeast asia so this is like dota 2's golden ratio where it's called the international because you want to bring all these different styles, all these different you know outlooks on the game together to have a really great tournament of the best of the best. And this year, it seemed like they're all fairly even ma- evenly matched. Uh, it's not China running away with it. It's not Europe running away with it, so to speak. Well, and it's important to stress here because, you know, like I follow League of Legends a little more closely and you have this sort of wonderful international mashup at, at Worlds every year. But Riot has to go to great lengths to engineer that sort of competition. We'll be discussing that later in the show, but certainly the way Riot structures the brackets and the groups is always to make sure that you have this regional representation. But given the way the international works, because of the way the group stage is structured, you're not guaranteed this this at all, right? Like what the way the group stage shakes out really just has to reflect uh, the reality of, of each team's strengths. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And then last year, it became pretty obvious that that China was a little bit of a step ahead of everybody last year. And so you're not guaranteed that. But it is nice when you have this big international tournament to have you know people from all over the world be able to come in and sit in the same room and compete for this and have people all over the world watching this and rooting for their hometown players. It's, it's really kind of a beautiful thing in sports. It's something you really don't get anywhere outside of the Olympics. So we watched some group stages. Uh, we watched some group stage matches last week, and one of the big ones was between China's C uh, deck and America's Evil Geniuses squad. And this was a battle between the top teams in Group B. And one of the things that jumped out in that series was the fact that EG was running techies in both games, and that seemed to throw C deck off their game throughout the series. Andrew, why is techies a big deal in competitive Dota, and uh, why does running him allow EG to throw such a monkey wrench into otherwise great teams' uh, plans? (laughs) Right, so the big deal about techies is that techies is not a big deal. Uh, Techies is legendary as sort of a non-serious character. He's sort of a a character for trolls, uh, is sort of his uh, reputation in the wider Dota community. You mostly bring him out to annoy people in public games uh, and to kind of... uh, abuse the fact that that lower ranked players don't know the game as well as you do so it's so much so that there were competitive players you know even the player Aoi 2000 who was playing techies on eg for this game you're referring to who were asking valve to take techies out of the game entirely because it was kind of ruining the game for younger players for newer players excuse me uh, so that's kind of why it's funny and bizarre to see techies make an make an appearance in the most important tournament in dota because like his it's interesting because teams figured out a way to make his sort of marquee troll ability into a, a real strategic thing. And that, that ability is to basically turn yourself into a suicide bomb. And normally that's really annoying for people because it doesn't really gain you a whole lot if you're techies, but you just go in there and you take somebody down. But teams have figured out how to use techies to you know, get him into the middle of the fight, blow himself up and deal huge amounts of damage. And it's really, really interesting how they're using it. So we've got Evil Geniuses at the top of of their group, and Team Secret ended up finishing second in in their group. And I guess it seems like a lot of the conversation among Dota fans, certainly, is people just waiting for the EG Team Secret fight. 
and LGD gets a little bit lost in this. Uh, and I'm, I just kind of wanted to ask you, like, who are the teams that we you think who, who do you think will be standing there for for the semifinals and, and finals? Who who of the teams that have made it into the uh, made it into the upper bracket? Uh, or heck, even include the lower bracket. Who do you who do you think are serious contenders versus who just had a really great group stage? You know, I I, I tend to believe that this particular group stage showed us who the strongest teams were, with the exception of one team, and that's C-Deck Gaming. Uh, C-Deck Gaming was a wild card team that found their way into the group stage, you know, by performing really well in in the uh, qualification matches. And I have a feeling that the good showing that they had was a bit of a fluke. And I'm not sure that they're going to make a big, deep run into the tournament this year. But I do. I have a ton of confidence in Team Secret. They have so much experience at the International. You know, they know so well how to win a tournament that is as absurdly long as the International. Because, you know, when, when you're playing games with the same people for three weeks, the strategies in the metagame shift predictably. So, like, every two days... There's a whole new metagame out there, and you have to be able to understand and predict those new strategies and then be able to counter them as well. So the more experienced players, the players who are smarter strategy-wise, maybe not quite as good uh, with Twitch skills but have a better command of the game, they're going to be the ones who are standing last, I think. And so I, I have a ton of confidence in Team Secret. I have a lot, like LGD Gaming looked so good in the group stage. I have to believe that that's not a fluke. You know, Evil Geniuses is a strong roster. And I, I feel like the, there's one spot in the top four that's left open. And I'm not sure who that's going to be. My heart is pulling for Complexity Gaming because they're a North American team. But that's really, that's really all I've got. Uh, so, yeah. So, Andrew... I'm an intermittent Dota watcher. Uh, every year I watch a ton of international games and say, this is it. This is the year I get into Dota. And then by Christmas, with a gun to my head, I couldn't name 10 players. <laughs> uh, so for people like me, uh, Fairweather fans who are making their annual pilgrimage to get back into Dota 2 for the international, uh, what should I be watching for when I'm watching these games? And where should I be watching it? Should I be watching it in the Dota 2 client or finding the streams online? Right. This is sort of the classic esports problem, right? Where, you know, it's like Evo every year. You go out and you buy your fight stick after after the tournament. You're like, I'm going to I'm going to be in Las Vegas next year. You know, you, you start watching Dota 2 and you feel like, no, I'm going. I'm going to get tickets next year. I'm going to be at the Key Arena in Seattle and I'm going to have my big foam finger cheering on Dendi. Um, but yeah, you know, as for what you should be watching for when you're watching this game, if you want to start to try to appreciate the strategy a little bit. Um, everyone in the international, I think part of the reason why it's so diverse across the world, uh, the teams coming from around the world, is that everyone kind of has a similar idea about how to play the game right now. And, and, and that's not necessarily a given in Dota where there are so many divergent strategies that you can try out. Uh, but everyone is really focused on this heavy mid-game push. So you, you build these characters that really come online around 15 minutes to 20 minutes, and then you push and you try to fight as hard as you can to try and get... Uh, to try and get an advantage over the other team. Um, but right now, what's interesting, what we've seen right now, is that teams have gotten so good at countering that and playing against that style that they can no longer count on being able to break the enemy team by minute 25 or minute 30 when these really mid-game-focused heroes start to fall off in terms of their strength and fighting power. And so what's kind of happened is 
teams have started bringing along a late game carry with them and so they'll fight with four players they'll they'll have these really divey heroes like uh like tusk or like spirit breaker that want to dive underneath the turret and just take kills away from the enemy team and you know whether or not the enemy team likes it um and then but in the meantime they have their hard carry just off in the jungle farming or it's just completely far away from the rest of the fight just picking up gold you know and that's sort of the dominant strategy that we've seen so far and it's led to the popularity of carries like like anti-mage who can farm very very safely or like pan um excuse me phantom lancer uh, who can also is just very very difficult to kill so there's really no threat to them going and farming somewhere else on the map um as for where you should be watching it's a very interesting question if you're just curious about dota 2 you should definitely only watch in the stream you know let let the casters you know, drive you around the game, tell you about some of the strategy. But if you start to feel yourself getting a little bit more serious about Dota 2, you might want to go into the game client, download Dota 2, and, and buy uh, tickets to go watch these these maps. So you pay $10 and you get what's called the compendium. And then you can go into the in-game client and view these games as if they were happening, as if you were playing them. You know, you can assign the camera to follow around your favorite player or you can zoom in on one particular player and essentially have the camera hover over their shoulder like it's the nba finals and you're watching a lebron via a drone or something like that um and it's just a great experience so if you're if you're getting a little bit more serious about dota you might want to watch it in the client the other benefit to that is you can move your mouse around the screen so you can hover over different abilities or items and see what they do uh, which can be really confusing for newer newer people who are just coming into Dota. Uh, so that's a really big benefit. But then, you know, if you're really, really into Dota and you don't need to know all that stuff, then you're probably going to watch via the stream as well. That's all the news we have for esports today. Now let's talk about esports tomorrow. We've got the WCS and the GSL coming up. So this week we got to see the group stage set up for the WCS as well as participants in this season's top-tier GSL Code S tournament. And, you know, Rob, I noticed that your rising star favorite, Dark, did make his way into Code S. You know, what do you think about his chances going forward? So Dark is one of those players who always seems like he's about to break through, right? And I think there's there's a lot of players like that coming out of the Korean Pro League system. And if you don't follow Korean StarCraft a lot, and one reason why Korea is always dominant at uh, StarCraft is that they have like the scene has always traditionally been oriented around major like corporate corporate sponsored teams uh, competing in these sort of long format team uh, team tournaments, and those tournaments traditionally are not necessarily dominated by the biggest names, right? So if you follow StarCraft uh, on the international scene and the Western scene, it tends to be very much driven by stars right you know what's you know what's flash up to what's jadong up to what's naniwa up to uh but the reason kree is always generating these stars is because their 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 team system is always like it has this farm creating these great players and dark is one of those players who you know he starts off as a situational uh, zerg that uh, sk telecom which is sort of the the yankees of of korean esports uh they would sort of bring him out and they'd bring him out in special situations but he wasn't a a first pick player he wasn't someone who was uh going very far in individual tournaments at this point uh, he's he's really come into his own and become recognized as a very, very strong uh, player. But the problem is he never quite sticks the landing. He keeps having respectable performances, but ends up not getting very far. And so I, I think the problem with Dark 
is that he is he is one of those players who will shine in practice. He will shine in pro league where you have a week to prepare for a given opponent and you just have to win one game and you can prepare, you know, you can prepare like crazy for that game against that opponent on that map. But when you see him take on people who are just truly like out of this world, great players like Amaru, like a parting, he doesn't have the talent or not necessarily the talent, but I don't think he has the insight or adaptability to win series against really really good adaptable pros like that and i think that's i think that's his tragic flaw i i am always hopeful that he's about to overcome it uh but you know i think he's just one of those guys who is going to be in every major tournament all at once and he won't be making deep runs in any of them so i think dark is the player to watch this year in codas because he's on the cusp of something and if he's not careful he could really easily turn into this seasons sue oh so no if you're not oh, don't you're not, say it oh i'm saying it if you're not if you're not familiar with sue sue is sort of the um with great respect for his abilities as as a fine zerg player he's sort of the perennial loser of starcraft 2 where he's famous for getting second place in tournaments like him and marine king are so well known for getting so deep into a tournament and then not being able to seal. And to be clear, Sue is so much better than Marine King ever was in his prime. <laughs> like that's, and I think this is, this is what makes Sue's career a little bit tragic, right? Is that Sue, you know, Marine, Marine King at his best was like almost this one trick pony, but but Sue was the entire package. He was one of the most dominant Zerg players I've ever seen in five years of watching StarCraft, and yet. But he never, he never, well, until very recently, he never got that championship win. And so now when I look at Dark's Liquipedia page, I see a similar trend where it's really impressive what he's been able to do over 2015, where we're looking at, you know, third place at IEM World Championship, uh, second place at the, at the Season 1 Kespa Cup, and then second place again at the Kespa Cup Season 2. And what worries me is that if he keeps losing in the finals, that becomes a mental problem where you so he starts to get you might start to get really nervous instead of being comfortable in the finals and comfortable up on stage you start thinking about all of those times that you've lost and starcraft is such a game where you need a mental edge on your opponent and you just can't have stuff like that in your mind and i am a little bit worried about him as a young player uh getting a bad reputation and a bad vibe in his own head yeah and probably taking second place to sue in the kespa cup was probably like <laughs> it, like it, that is the equivalent of like you know having a mirror fall on your head as you walk under a ladder and, and trip over a black cat like that is uh it's possible the mojo is on him now uh but but i hope that's not the case uh is there anyone you're going to be following very closely in this season of gsl uh, outside of dark and this season of gsl is kind of you know the average gsl season but my perennial favorite is always going to be Flash. Um, Flash is this player who was dominant, absolutely dominant, the most the most dominant player ever to play StarCraft Brood War uh, back in, in, in the mid-2000s. And, you know, when I was first getting into StarCraft 2, StarCraft 2, his arrival was heralded for Terran players. You know, Terran was struggling at the time where there weren't any Terran uh, tournaments being won. And then Flash showed up and everybody said, oh my god, it's over. The Terran struggles are over and Flash is here to rescue us. And it it sort of happened for a little while, but it just gave me such an affinity for the player. Like when I think of Flash, I think 
hope for me and the other Terran players. So I will always be rooting for him. But he doesn't necessarily really feel like someone who has a chance to make a deep run in Code S this year. Um, I'm someone who is who is a bit emotional when it comes to StarCraft 2, and it tends to lead me to pick losers because uh fan favorites do not win starcraft only the player who shows up with the best preparation wins starcraft the the issue with flash is that he is a player that and i've talked about this with uh some starcraft casters and such he's a player that is renowned for his preparation like you said uh but his preparation is for the type of starcraft they played in brood war uh he's a a brilliant pro league uh, competitors are team oriented but that's not necessarily what's going to carry you uh to a gsl victory so i think it's going to be a very it's a very difficult difficult path for him uh but mobas are are hitting their stride right now in this season so we've got the international we talked a lot about that earlier but also the lcs playoffs in europe and north america you know rob this year where do Europe and North America stand against the, the juggernauts in South Korea and China? And do the Westerners have a real shot this year? The answer is different depending on the region you're talking about. Europe and NA are, as always, in a very different place this year. And it's odd because I think the I think the North American playoffs are probably going to be a lot more interesting to watch. But the European scene is probably a little more relevant for Worlds. The big difference you have between the regions is uh, quite simply Fnatic. Fnatic may have the strongest team in the history of the LCS. Uh, in terms of stats, they are the strongest team in LCS history. They went undefeated in their division, which was hardly a scrub league. So the EU playoffs are kind of this duel to see who has the honor of losing to Fnatic. <laughs> uh, so for Fnatic, the real test comes at Worlds, where we see how they stack up two Chinese and Korean teams. And for Fnatic, we've already had some really good signs of where they're at in terms of international competition. Earlier this year, they competed at the Midseason Invitational at Florida State University, which, believe me, is a weird place to find yourself for a League of Legends <laughs> final. Uh, it's the home of the Seminoles. It is a football-crazed town, and there's really nothing to it beyond the Seminoles. I don't know why you'd ever be there, but there we all were <laughs> for League of Legends. And so while we were there, uh, Fnatic played uh, some of the best teams in the world, and uh, they had a really rough group stage. Uh, they While they absolutely crushed uh, North America's Team Solo mid, which was hardly unexpected, they... Uh, they ended up getting just sort of torn apart by China's uh, Edward Gaming, EDG. And they had a kind of heartbreaking uh, best of one versus SK Telecom. But by the end of that tournament, they ended up uh, meeting SK Telecom in the playoffs and pushed them to five games. And it was this back and forth, really dramatic uh, playoff series that if just a couple things had worked out differently, it would have been Fnatic going to face EDG in the uh, final, which which EDG eventually won over SK Telecom. And the interesting thing about this is this was a Fnatic team that didn't have all the weapons they have right now. Uh, between the midseason Invitational and the start of the summer season, they replaced their AD carry, uh, sort of their, their high DPS damage dealer in the uh, in the bottom lane. Uh, they replaced their, their spring carry, uh, a guy named Steelback, who was... A, a perfectly decent player, uh, but they replaced him by bringing back a former Fnatic prospect, uh, Reckless, who is just this 
widely regarded as one of the best uh, 80 carries in the world and certainly one of the best in Europe. And they brought him back into the Fnatic fold. And uh, he is just a, a far, far uh, more mechanically talented player. So I think I think Fnatic have a real shot of, of mounting a serious challenge at Worlds. I'm not sure the same can be said about the rest of Europe, and I certainly don't think the rest of the, the same can be said of where things are at with uh, North America right now. I, I don't think I think we're setting ourselves up for yet another Worlds where um, you see a reality check served on North America and possibly Europe as well. Right. So I'm really interested in understanding what it is that leaves North America behind in the LCS because you know I recently watched. Team Liquid versus CLG. And Liquid looked really strong. And CLG is not a bad team. But I I saw a Liquid team that was confident and resolute and knew exactly when their timings were and were putting up exact perfect rotations to push objectives right when they needed to be, right when CLG had no chance of stopping them. Uh, And they just kind of bulldozed through that game. And I'm wondering, you know, when a team looks relatively good within their own region, like what is it that you're looking for that says like, these guys are still two rungs below the rest of the world. Uh, part of it is just is just it's it's a matter of context, and I think this is why NA fans are are so often disappointed. Riot do a very good job of selling an entertainment package for each reason, region, and so if you follow NALCS, you have important rivalries within that series, and you see these teams facing each other week after week. Mm-hmm. And you have the phenomenon of people sort of play up or play down to a certain level. And I think that happens a little bit in North America. And I think North America in general has has maybe lost some of its strength in the last year or so. Uh, You no longer have this sort of cutting edge Cloud9 team really putting on a great show week after week. They sort of squeaked into uh, next season. Uh, They didn't make the playoffs, but they, they aren't eliminated either. Um but the other so if you're if you're following other regions, you see like a level of play that's just generally higher. And if you can follow all the regions, you'll you'll be watching NA and you'll be very aware that the play just isn't quite as tight. And so like when you're watching Team Liquid versus CLG and 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 Team Liquid looked great in that series. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think they they played a fantastic game in that tiebreaker. Um but at certain key moments you were seeing things that just you shouldn't be seeing at an elite level in League of Legends. Like uh, it was just this this constant sort of um, you were, you were seeing a ton of miscues from Xmithy, who is the CLG jungler, and it seemed like he was constantly in the wrong place or over committing and just getting caught out or leaving the jungle unprotected and allowing uh, the Team Liquid top laner Quas to sort of get in a position to do some real damage. It was just all these little miscues, you see? All these little things that like, huh, like where was he on this play? And it's it's hard to notice when you're watching live, right? It's it's when you're sort of watching replays and you're sort of scrubbing it back and forth. Like who was doing what, when, where? You start to realize like, oh man, like that was a great play and it was an exciting moment. But if you sort of scratch below the surface, you see a lot of issues that will absolutely kill you on the world stage. Hmm. So at the top of the NALCS, I believe we had CLG, Team Liquid, and Team Solo mid, correct? Uh, no. No? And no. Team Solo mid ended up turning in a really disappointing season in a lot of ways. Uh, because out of, kind of out of nowhere, uh, 
Uh, a lot of things happened this season that didn't seem like they should have happened. Team Liquid is at the top of the NA standings, which they're the former Curse team, and, and Curse always kind of lived up to their name. They were the team where things just kind of fell apart for them, uh, and they were never s sort of able to break into the elite level. This season, they sort of got their act together, and they mounted a challenge and, and went right to the top. And so they're one of those teams, like, they're they're sitting in what used to be the Cloud9 TSM position. So both both Team Liquid and, and, and CLG have sort of moved up. Right. But then the crazy thing is that um, another team entered uh, NALCS last year, I want to say, or, or certainly the, the earlier this year, uh, was... Um, Team Impulse, which was originally known as LMQ. And there was a lot of shady business and, and drama around LMQ, but there was sort of a, a very uh, Chinese player-heavy team and sort of a Chinese organization mm -hmm. that left uh, the Chinese scene because they were tired of dealing with some shady stuff that was going on, I think, with uh, within whatever part of the scene they were in. And they came to North America, and they ended up playing really, really well. And they've been very, very successful. I think this was, this was last uh, summer. This year, they're uh, still very strong. They finished third. But then the, the other crazy thing is that uh, gra there's this, this team Gravity, which used to be Curse's sort of B team, uh, sort of the sister team to what's now Team Liquid, but just sort of their junior, their junior level. They emerged this season as a very strong contender in uh, NALCS. They've actually finished fourth, edging out Team Solo Mid. And what's interesting about Gravity, and it makes them maybe one of the most exciting teams heading into this, this playoffs, is that Gravity are very, very young, and they've gotten very, very good very, very quickly. And so it's, it's just one of those things. You see it in esports where, you know, people start to peak at the right time and everything comes together. And so right now they're playing at a level that's very, very close to the top teams in NALCS. But unlike the rest of those teams, Gravity are just on this crazy upward trajectory. So I don't know where that takes them. But that lack of experience has got to be just fatal for their any, any sort of hopes they might have at Worlds, though, right? Yeah, definitely. And I'm not even like... I'm not even sure they have a reasonable shot at Worlds. I have to check the uh, the, the point totals for for this season, but it's not it's not even Worlds. It's the playoffs in general because you know it's like in StarCraft. Um, it's one thing to win a best of one. It's one thing to win a game, but winning a tournament, winning you know multiple best of three, best of five series. Right. And I think in in League of Legends right now, it's it's all best of fives. Pulling that off against teams who've been to this rodeo many times before and having the mental toughness to, you know, bounce back from defeats and win when you're, you know, on match point, that's a skill set that's completely different from what Gravity's done so far this season, which is show off really, really well in a series of best of ones. Uh, so whether or not Gravity can sort of continue to, uh, you know, improve, like, continue to ride that momentum in the playoffs against teams that are very, very experienced at winning playoff series. That's a very different, that's a very different proposition. So what's the main takeaway for somebody who's coming into league of legends, who wants to know what, who wants to, who is dead set on rooting for a North American team? You know, what is, what's the one team that they should maybe possibly put their hopes in? Fanatic. <laughs> 
No, I mean that that is the grand tradition, right, of of North American esports fandom is, is that you know as soon as as soon as all the Americans are eliminated, you just find like whatever European analog, right, uh, right, you know, will will at least not be a Korean or or Chinese organization. I think right if. You know, in in all seriousness, if you're tuning into the uh, NA playoffs, which which start uh, next weekend, um, the team I would probably follow the most closely would be Team Liquid. I think there's there, it's a great organization. Uh, there's a lot of infrastructure behind them, which is so important in esports. Uh, X Special, their their support is one of the smartest and uh, most insightful players in League of Legends, one of the most professional uh, I've ever dealt with. So uh, I think the world of that team and that organization, and I think they, they probably have the best chance of, of anyone in NALCS right now. CLG have a very sordid history of playoff meltdowns. It's kind of, if you're a CLG fan, you're used to disappointment, uh, sad <laughs> to say. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pay too much attention to them. And TSM, I you know... I'm not surprised that they're at, you know, the position they're at, that they're sort of in the middle of the standings. That doesn't astonish me, given, uh, you know, that team's trajectory over the last uh, last few years. I think they're, they're a team that makes smart hires and are always, you know, just, just good enough to be at the top of, of NA. This season they came up short, but I don't think they've ever succeeded in building a team that is actually world-class. And I'm not sure as an organization they're really prioritizing that, which is harsh to say. But we've had year after year of TSM going to Worlds and just not quite showing up. Uh, and I think this year uh, they might be even weaker than they've been. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that I should root for Team Liquid because honestly, you can't stop me from rooting for Team Liquid in anything that they compete in simply because the organization is great and they've done so much good for esports and so much good for esports reporting. It makes the Liquipedia is an invaluable resource for anybody who covers esports. Yeah, it's it's actually frustrating when you go to Liquipedia, you can't just give them money because uh, I totally <laughs> would because I'm there like I, I am there like 20 or 30 times a day. There's simply no place you can find uh, all the information you need to, to follow esports. So to recap, this week we've got the international main stage every day leading up to the final on Saturday, August 8th at 4 p.m. Eastern. Saturday and Sunday also kick off the LCS playoffs, which you can watch on lolesports.com. Over in StarCraft, we've got the GSL round of 32 at 5.30 Eastern every morning, and this weekend we have the group stage and finals of the Intel Extreme Masters Tournament at Gamescom, all of which you can watch on wcs.battle.net. IEM are also running a Counter-Strike tournament at Gamescom this weekend, which you can watch via the ESL's CSGO Twitch channel. We'll be discussing these tournaments on next week's show on August 11th, but that's all we have for this edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss esports with us in the Idle Thumbs community at our website, esports.today. We'd love to hear your feedback and field questions for an upcoming listener mail segment, so come find us once again at esports.today. We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney, signing off.